0: <clears throat> Morning, church. Morning. Thanks for joining us on this Easter Sunday, on this Resurrection Sunday, on this Victory Sunday. I hope your Easter weekend has been a blessing, spending time with family, family coming in. I hope it's been a blessing for you. I want to begin today with an announcement. It is a powerful announcement. It is an affirming announcement. It is an announcement that needs to be made often. I believe it's an announcement that you need to make on a regular basis. It is a life-changing announcement. It is a victory announcement. We find this announcement in the Bible. Here's how Mark begins his Writing. He says, The beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel. That word means good news. That word is an announcement. The gospel is a good news announcement. I like the quote from Dr. Paul Rees. He says, The gospel is neither a discussion nor a debate. It is an announcement. When the Bible was written, that word gospel was not a Bible word. In fact, the word gospel simply was a victory announcement. When Rome would conquer another country, they would announce the gospel. When they would gain more land, they would announce the good news and send out the good news. There's even been an inscription found in the Middle East that said, The beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. Gospel in the Roman Empire was simply life-changing victory news. It was good news about the Roman Empire. But then we begin reading the Bible, and Mark, one of the announcements, one of the good news, one of the gospel writers, begins by saying, I have some good news, I have a victory announcement, and he redefines the word gospel. His gospel is not about Rome, his gospel is not about the Roman Empire, no, he redefines gospel, he redefines the good news as being about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark says, I want to share some gospel. I want to share some good news. And it's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because in Jesus, and only in Jesus, not in the Roman Empire, only in Jesus do we have victory. And here in Mark 1, he writes, he puts into words, it's on print that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, what's interesting in the Gospel of Mark is you don't read that much anymore. You don't hear anyone say the words that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Not for a while. You don't hear from human lips anyone say Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What's interesting is you hear God say, You are my Son. God says the words. And you hear the demons say, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? So God says it, and the demons say it, but we don't find those words coming from human lips until our text today that we will look at. We hear those words from God the Father. We hear those words from the demons, but not from human lips, not until our text today, not until the end of Mark's gospel. And here's what we read. When the centurion, the Roman soldier who stood there in front of Jesus, when he heard his cry and saw how he died, he said from human lips, surely this man was the Son of God. I read that statement and I read that verse... And I have to ask, what did he hear? And what did he see to come to this announcement, this confession? More than likely, this Roman soldier hasn't known Jesus very long. He hasn't had time to observe him very much. But there's something that he heard and something that he saw. And the evidence was too much for him to ignore. And he made this announcement this confession, maybe because there's something about death that changes us. Something about the death of Jesus changed this man. Something about the death of Jesus that got his attention. It's interesting because what he sees in just a few hours changes his life. And he makes this announcement and he makes this confession. Death has a way of bringing things into focus. Think about it. You attend a wedding, you might think back to your wedding day. You attend a funeral and you start thinking about your life and the brevity of life and when your death may come because death has a way of getting our attention. Death has a way of changing our focus. Death <coughs> changes us. Here's what Max Lucado writes. Death is the bully on the block of life. He tells you, you too will die someday. Your time is coming. He'll make your stomach tighten. He'll leave you wide-eyed and flat-footed. He'll fence you in with fear. He'll steal the joy of your youth and the peace of your final years. And if he achieves what he sets out to do, he'll make you so afraid of dying that you never learn to live. Think about it. There are times in life when you meet someone and... Perhaps you think you might really like them. You might really want to spend some time with them. And then you get to spending some time with them and you think they're not the person I want to know and you want to spend less time with them. Not so with this Roman soldier. Not so with this centurion. The more he observes Jesus, the more he's drawn to Jesus. Many of you know that today. Many of you have experienced that today. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more that you're drawn to Him. This Roman soldier has only been around Jesus a few hours. And he only observes Jesus during his final hours before death. And whatever perceptions he once had have now been changed. And he's the first human in the Gospel of Mark to say from human lips, this man was the Son of God. Mark wrote the words. God said the words. Demons said the words. This is the first human. So, I kind of want to know what happened. I'd kind of like to see what he saw and what he heard. Because this guy's probably seen hundreds of people die. He's probably participated in hundreds of executions, hundreds of deaths. He's probably seen everything imaginable. He's probably heard everything imaginable. And being here at the foot of the cross was nothing new. But something new happened this day. Something about the death of Jesus changed him. And I want to know what happened. I want to see the events leading up to this. So let's read. Then they led him out to crucify him. It's Passover week when thousands of people are offering lambs to be slaughtered because of the law. The law required that. It's Passover week and Jesus, the final Passover lamb, is about to be slaughtered. We keep reading. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, and then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Interesting that they offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh. The only other place myrrh is mentioned is at the birth of Jesus. When the Magi came and they brought baby Jesus gold and incense and Myrrh at both ends of his life. He's offered myrrh. At his birth as a baby, his parents accepted the gift. At the cross as an adult, he refused the gift. Wine mixed with myrrh was probably a sedative. Something to take the edge off the pain. And Jesus didn't want to take the edge off the pain. Jesus took it all. No aspirin, no painkillers, no morphine. Jesus took it all and experienced it all. He took all the beatings and all the abuse and all the mockings. He took it all. Jesus was not under the influence of anything that day except the will of God. No doubt most of you know how horrible this death was. This death was brutal. The Greeks invented crucifixion and the Romans perfected it. They perfected it in the sense that they made it as cruel as possible. So there's no way to sanitize it. There's no way to make it look good. There's no way to glamorize it. There's no no way to feel good about it. It was a cruel death. And the road to the cross was not a direct route. It was not a straight shot. Why? Why? Because the Romans wanted everyone to know and everyone to see. The Romans made crucifixion a deterrent to crime. They wanted it to be public. They wanted it to be humiliating. They used this form of execution to keep people in line so they wouldn't break the law. And so they paraded people for everyone to see so that people wouldn't do what you were seeing. And Jesus is no longer able to carry His cross. And this man, Simon, comes, and they force him to carry the cross. Interesting side note, when you get to Romans 16, where Paul says, greet these people, greet and greet and greet and greet and greet, it says, greet Rufus, whose dad was Simon, probably the same Simon who carried the cross of Jesus, So it influenced not just the Roman centurion, but Simon and his children. We keep reading. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. They crucified him. That's that's about all the detail Mark gives us in his good news. Crucifixion was an excruciating death. It was saved for the worst of criminals. The nails were a half inch wide and seven inch long, more like a railroad spike. It was, it was an awful way to die. The Romans took great pride in making it a horrible death. But Mark doesn't really go into details, just four words, and they crucified him one week earlier Jesus enters town and they shout Hosanna now just four words and they crucified him we keep reading it was nine in the morning when they crucified him the written notice of the charge against him read the king of the Jews it was customary to put the charges over the head of the person so you would know who they were and what they did the crime they had committed, but this was not the charge. This was not the charge against Jesus. The Jews charged him with blasphemy. And in the other good news gospel writers, we read the Jews were upset and they wanted the charge changed. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. We keep reading. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, wagging their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. As if crucifying him was not enough, as if the sign was not enough, as if being placed between two robbers was not enough, Add to that the insults, not just insults, they hurled. They, they hurled. They didn't just say them, they hurled. Whatever you want to visualize that being, maybe you've had someone say insults about you, maybe you've had someone hurl insults at you. They're hurling insults at the, They're hurling insults at the one who can save them. They're hurling insults at the one who created them. They're hurling insults at the one who gave them physical life, at the one who gives them spiritual life. These people are challenging Jesus to do something. They're challenging Jesus to come down. They're challenging Jesus to save himself. But he doesn't give in to their insults. In the same way... In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heap insults on him. In the same way. In the same way that everybody else was hurling insults. In the same way that everybody else was mocking him. Now the chief priests and The teachers of the law join in. Now those being crucified with Him are joining in. These people don't understand that coming down from the cross is not what's going to save them. Staying up on the cross is what's going to save them. But they don't remember, and they they certainly didn't understand when Jesus said, but I, when I am lifted up, will bring everyone unto me, will draw all men to myself. Jesus is catching it from every angle. From the passers-by, from the chief priests, from the teachers of the law, from the temple-going religious folks, from God's people, from the Romans, from the executioners, from the two robbers. And then, and then something happens. A, a super natural phenomenon at noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the middle of the day at noon darkness over everything if you've read through scripture you know that darkness in scripture is associated with the wrath of god here we are at the end of the passover week Again, the Passover week, which commemorated the exodus of God's people in the Old Testament. God brought the plague of darkness over all of Egypt. And he instituted the Passover. And, and, and the death angel, the wrath of God, was about to be seen. And the firstborn of animals and the firstborn among men were about to die. And here we are thousands of years later. And Jesus... The final Passover lamb, the firstborn of God, is about to die. And God's judgment is on display again. And darkness comes over the land again. And three hours later, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out in a loud voice, not a whisper. You didn't have to say, What was that? You knew. He cried out in a loud voice. And he lets everyone know. That he's alone. You would almost expect God to... Maybe just open up the earth and... Swallow all these people up. You would almost expect God to... Maybe banish these people who are Crucifying Jesus. Banish them into the, into the bowels of hell. But God doesn't. He doesn't do that because... God doesn't want those people that day. God doesn't want any people. God doesn't want any of us to spend eternity in hell. And so hell comes to Jerusalem on this day. Darkness comes to Jerusalem on this day. Hell comes to Golgotha on this day. Hell is described in Scripture as a place of darkness. The Bible says utter darkness. And on this day, hell comes to earth... You know, the worst thing about hell that we read in Scripture is God is not there. And on this day, as Jesus cries out, God is not there, and He's all alone. This is the cup Jesus didn't want to take. This is the cup Jesus didn't want to drink. This is the cup of God's wrath that he prayed. If there's any other way, this is the cup that crushed him to the point of death. As terrible as the pain of crucifixion, I think the pain of separation from his father may have crushed him more. This may be the only time in all the gospels that Jesus calls him God and not father. It's is it little wonder that the sun stopped shining on this day because the Son of God was left in the dark? We keep reading with a loud cry, Jesus breathed His last... The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Well, Jesus is up on the cross. Down on the earth is an earthquake. And the curtain of the temple is torn in two, the The curtain of the temple, not not just any curtain, the curtain that separated the most holy place, the the most holy place where only the high priest could go. Some writers say the curtain of the temple was 4 inches thick. Some writers say it was 24 inches thick. And it doesn't tear from bottom to top as if if man grabbed it and tore it. it. It tears from top to bottom perhaps to signify that it is torn by God. And little do people know on that day, but we know, we know from reading that the temple is now open to all and we have access to God because of Jesus, our high priest. And standing at the foot of the cross is this Roman soldier, this Roman centurion, and... He's been watching and he's been listening and he hears and he sees. And again he says, surely this man was the son of God. And he makes an announcement. He makes a confession. The evidence for this man was too great to ignore. He's never heard Jesus preach a sermon. He's never witnessed a miracle he's never witnessed a healing he probably didn't see jesus calm the storm he didn't see jesus raise anyone from the grave probably never heard jesus tell a parable he didn't see jesus feed feed the thousands he's only seen the way jesus dies and he's only heard the things that jesus has said Maybe he's been there throughout the trial. Maybe he's been there to see how the Jews treated him. Maybe he has been there to see how the religious police have treated him. He has certainly seen and heard the insults. He's certainly seen and heard the spikes go through his body. He's seen it all. He's heard it all. He sees the way Jesus responds to all the insults. He hears the way Jesus responds in such a loving way. And this man, he just can't get over it. And so he confesses, he announces, surely this man is the Son of God. Again, this man's not a priest. He's not a rabbi. He's not one of the disciples. He's not a church-going guy. He's not a Jew. He's a Roman centurion who makes his living killing people. And while most of the people are shouting for Jesus to come down from the cross, this man believes and confesses while Jesus is up on the cross. He sees Jesus die with forgiveness on his lips reaching out to the people who mocked him, taking on the wrath of God, drinking the cup so that we wouldn't have to drink it, getting beat up so we don't have to beat up ourselves, being forsaken by God so that we don't have to be forsaken by God, and God turning his back on Jesus so that he would never turn his back on us. And he makes an announcement. He makes a confession. Surely, this is the Son of God. So, today, this is is not just another Easter story. This is not just another story about Jesus. This is an announcement. This is good news. And today, you have an opportunity, as you do every day, just like this Roman centurion, to make an announcement, to make a confession. A powerful announcement, an affirming announcement, an announcement that you probably need to make on a regular basis, an announcement you need to make often, a life-changing announcement. It's a confession announcement. But the gospel doesn't stop there. The good news doesn't stop there. He has risen. He's not there. Mark says, I still have some good news. And as you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you get to the book of Acts, that's all they talk about. That's all they preach about, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They continue this announcement. They continue making this good news, this Gospel announcement. They want everyone to know that Jesus has been raised from the dead. This good news is that death has no hold on Jesus, and death has no hold on us. And maybe that's the good news that you need to hear. As we've mentioned and talked a lot about death today, maybe you need to hear that Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave. He's risen. The death of Jesus changed this Roman soldier. And so he had no other way to respond except to make an announcement, to make a confession. And you have this opportunity on a daily, regular basis to make the same announcement, same confession, the same life changing victory news in your life. Maybe that's why Paul writes Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism is just continuing that announcement, continuing that confession, continuing the good news. This Roman soldier confessed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we do the same, there's rejoicing in heaven. So I want to encourage you to do that today on a regular basis. Maybe when you get up in the morning, maybe you just look in the mirror and you make that announcement so that you're reminded of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There was one who was willing to die in my stead that a soul so unworthy might live. And the path to the cross, he was willing to tread all the sins of my life to forgive. They're nailed to the cross. They're nailed to the cross. Oh, how much he was willing to bear. With what anguish and loss Jesus went to the cross. He carried my sins with him there. Let's pray.